Grace Wheeler, like you already know, I'm 27 years old, I love Mickey Mouse. Um, but a few other things about me. I, uh, I live uh, uh, in Stourbridge, it's not too far away, which is nice. It's been like just an easy trip this morning. I live there with my husband, Nath, um, and we've been married for um, nearly three years. Um, and uh, we have a little dog called Bailey, who's a cockapoo. She's a mixture between a cock spaniel and a poodle. So he looks like a little teddy, really. My husband doesn't walk with him, he's too embarrassed. But um, he's very, very cute. And then, uh, what's something else about me? I go to a church called Gas Street in the centre of Birmingham, run by um, some uh, pastors, Tim and Rachel. And I've been there since the start. It's a church plant from London. We've been there for about three years and loved it really involved there, so I'd be there if I wasn't here this morning. Um, but before we go any further, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you're looking good this morning. You're all looking good this morning, but it's good to encourage there was a girl, she was eight years old, and she had blonde curly hair and red shiny shoes. And uh, she loved Disney, she loved movies, she loved the park. She had two older sisters, but tragedy struck when this little girl was five years old. Her mum was on the way to work one morning in her car, and she skidded on some ice. The car flipped over three times, smashed into a tree, and she was left in a car wreck. For four hours, cars drove past thinking that's all it was, just a wreckage. Until a taxi driver had a sense that he should stop. He got out of his car, walked over to the wreck and looked inside. And he saw this little girl's mum in a bad way. She was airlifted by air ambulance to the local hospital and went straight into surgery where they found something called the hangman's fracture. She'd broken her neck. And so all of a sudden, this little girl's life Five years old, blonde curly hair and red shiny shoes. Her life changed in an instant and hopelessness set in. Thankfully, that little girl's mum did eventually make a full recovery. But in that moment, that little girl's life changed to a life full of fear. Every time her parents were out of her sight, she would imagine that something bad was going to happen. When she was eight years old, this little girl had been suffering from being bullied for two years in her class by two girls the year above. She was invited to a local church service where somebody got up and spoke about a God that sent his one and only son Jesus to live a life that she couldn't but die a death that she deserved to die. And that night, that little girl with blonde curly hair and red shiny shoes, she ran home, she ran up the stairs, she went into her bedroom, she opened her curtains and looked up into the night sky and she thought this, maybe, just maybe there's a God. And maybe, just maybe, he loves me. And maybe, just maybe, he sent his one and only son to die for me. So that night, that little girl prayed for the first time to God to invite him to have a relationship with her. That little girl with curly blonde hair and red shiny shoes, if you haven't guessed it, it was me. I became... I became a Christian when I was eight years old. I've grown up in a church-going, Jesus-loving family. But actually, at that particular time, my life changed. 
You see, Jesus doesn't say, come follow me, it's happily ever after. That's Disney, that's not reality. He said, come follow me, you will face trouble, but do not fear because I've overcome it. And so now I know somebody called Jesus intimately. And so it doesn't mean that I haven't had doubts along the way. It doesn't mean that I haven't struggled along the way, but I've met hope and his name is Jesus. And so ever since that time, I haven't been able to stop talking to people about Jesus. I'd be on the bus with my mum and I'd be telling people about Jesus. I'd be in the petrol station buying my sweets and I'd be telling people about Jesus. I'd be in dance class and I'd be telling my dance teacher about Jesus because I just couldn't stop talking about the big JC, Jesus Christ, for those of you who take a little while to catch up. Who here likes camping? Anyone? Camping? Okay, we've got some people who are fans. Who doesn't like camping? A flipping men. I don't enjoy camping. However, I married a man that loves camping and uh, loves this so much that he once climbed to the top of Snowden and slept on the top of Snowden with a couple of his mates in just a sleeping bag because it was fun. You know what I mean? Anyway, he needs to get out more. But basically, when we got married, he said to me, we need to start going camping a little bit more. We don't have much money now because we've got to pay a mortgage every month. So let's buy a tent and let's just go camping more often. So anyway, um, an opportunity came up with some uh, friends from my church to go away camping. And uh, my husband wasn't able to come, classic, because of work. However, I said, I'm going to embrace it, babe. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to go. I'm going to take our tent. I'm going to blow up my own lilo. I'm going to eat out of a tin and not shower. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to embrace it. So I went away and I camped for three days and I did just that. Anyway, um, on the way back home, I ring my husband. I'm like, babe, I've done it. Like, I embraced it. I stink, but I embraced it. And like, I enjoyed it, and we've got to go again. And, like, he's thinking, what the heck? Like, what on earth? You know what I mean? You never count in your life. And I'm like, new woman. So anyway, um, into the three-hour journey back, an hour in, my eye starts to itch quite a lot, my right eye. And I'm thinking, oh, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's just an itchy eye. I'll get home, get showered. I'm sure it's fine. As it as the journey went on, it got progressively worse, and my eye began to swell. If you guys are a little bit squeamish, it's probably best not to listen to the rest of the story. So, anyway, I get home, and uh, it's, it's swollen, and it's red. Someone's leaving the room, that's okay. It's swollen, and it's red. And, uh, I'm just joking. And uh, I get home, and my husband says to me, oh, don't worry, we'll be fine. I'm like, I can't. I can hardly see, babe. I don't think it's fine. He's like, sleep on it, wash it out with some water, see how you are tomorrow. The next morning, it was even worse. So I wake up, and um, the one-eyed monster, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I go into the doctor's. And so I make an appointment, I head into the doctor's, go into the doctor's room, sit down, and uh, he's like, hi, Grace, how are you doing? And I said, yeah, I'm good. How are you? He says, yeah, good. I said, um, doctor, as you can see, my eye's pretty bad, but you need to know I've been camping. He wasn't as impressed as I thought he would be. But anyway, so we carried on the conversation, and uh, he looks into my eye. And he says words, ladies and gentlemen, that I don't think I'll ever forget until the day that I die. He said this, um, oh, I see what's happened. A bug has crawled into your eye whilst you were sleeping and bitten you. I felt violated, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to lie to you. Which I screamed, is it still in there? 
And I'm sure people in the waiting room heard me because as I walked out, there were some really odd looks. And he said, no, 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 no. It's like, you know, it's left. I was like, oh, how kind of it to leave. You know, how kind. Anyway, he gave me some droplets and, and I kind of made a full recovery. But I got into the car and um, I rang my husband. This is no word of a lie. You couldn't make this up. So on the phone, I'm like, babe, you will not believe what's happened. Explains what I've just told you. And his words were this. Don't worry, babe. The next time we go camping, you can just wear a pair of goggles while you sleep. <laughs> Bye, babe. <laughs> just put the phone down. Anyway, the point of that story has got nothing to do with what I'm talking to you about today. Jokes. Um, let's, let's try and seamlessly, shall we, seamlessly link this. The reality is, if I hadn't asked the question, I wouldn't have had the answer from the doctor. If I hadn't have asked the question, I wouldn't have known what was wrong with my eye. And I want to go today to Matthew 7, 7. It's one of my favorite verses. When I got invited to speak here this morning, and they just said, you can kind of speak on whatever you want. The theme is rise up, but whatever's on your heart. And I was thinking, what was profound for me growing up? When I was a teenager, when I was, your, when I was some of your ages, the, the young people in the audience, what, what, was, what resonated with me? And uh, it was this verse. So if you want to uh, turn, it's in Matthew 7, 7. Really easy verse to remember. And I'll pick it up at the start. Ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks will receive, and anyone who seeks will find. And the door will be opened to those who knock. Would any of you who are fathers give your son a stone when he asks for bread? Or would you give him a snake when he asks for a fish? Bad as you are, you know how to give good things to your children. How much more then will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? But in the original text, in the original Greek, it's almost as if Jesus is saying in that verse when he's speaking to his disciples, ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. It's not a one-time only thing. And for me and my faith, that is what I've realized. A few years ago, I was a street dancer, uh, believe it or not. Um, when I started at Youth for Christ seven years ago, I was uh, a street dance team leader, which meant that I traveled around the UK, uh, touring, going into schools. Some of you in here may have heard this story before, but I don't think the young people have, so I wanted to share it. So we go down to Bournemouth, um, the south coast, and we're there for a week. And when we're in schools, we, uh, we're doing kind of lessons. I mean, we've come to this school before, Phil's there. We've come to this school before. We've performed in this hall, actually. But um, uh, what would happen was we would do lessons, we'd do assemblies, we'd do lunchtime clubs, we'd do evening gatherings. And this one time, we're in Bournemouth. And we're there for the week. And me and four of my team, four girls, there's five of us, we get to Friday, and we're putting on an evening event where people can come and watch us perform and then hear the gospel message. And so we've got about 100 people sitting in this hall room and um, it's been a really long week. Okay, really long. Who here gets a bit hangry? When you're hungry and you're tired, a little bit hangry. That's where I was, people. You've got to understand this. Your hand went really high up, the highest of anyone else, okay? We've got some issues here. We'll have prayer later. But anyway, um, so... So I'm in the school, and we've, been, and we've been there for the week, and it's Friday, and I'm like, girls, do you know what? At the end of this event, 
We're going to smile and wave. We're going to leave the school. We're going to go for a Nando's. Who likes Nando's? Shout out your order. Is it medium? Is it hot and spicy? Is it lemon and herb? What do you have? Mango and meat. Okay, medium. No spicy? Yes. Hot and spicy at the back. Amen, sister. Anyway, so I said to the girls, listen, we'll have, uh, we'll have Nando's and then we'll get donuts. Healthy living. And then we'll drive back. And so anyway, we got to the end of this, uh, we got, sorry, we got to the middle of this event and I'm on the stage sharing Jesus and I'm saying about how Jesus came to earth and how he died on the cross and suddenly the door opens, bam, woke you up and in walks in um, this 16 year old lad, he's head boy, I'd seen him a couple of times in the week, uh, pretty hench, cheeky smile and he walks right to the back of the hall, he sits on a chair and he skids it back. He gives me that beautiful look that year 11s often give me, as if to say, show me what you got. So anyway, I continue, and I get to the end of my talk, and I get down from the platform, and um, I just feel like God speaks to me. Now, for me, that's not an audible voice. For some people, that is. But for me, it's like um, a thought process that comes out of nowhere, and it just, I can't shake it. It's like on repeat. And so anyway, I... um, I really felt like God said, you need to go and talk to this lad. And I'm like, Jesus, I need a Nando's. I don't think you really understand where I'm at right now. I need a Nando's and a donut, and I need to go home. And he just wouldn't stop. Um, And so anyway, I walked to the back of the hall, and I sit down. I was like, hey, how you doing? And he said, hey. I said, what's your name? Archie. I said, I'm Grace. We sit down. I said, so what did you think? I won't tell you the words that he used, because it wouldn't be appropriate, but essentially, he told me that it was a load of rubbish. And then for 45 minutes, he told me every reason under the sun why God doesn't exist. And believe you me, I was in a hangry place. By the end of it, I was kind of coming around to his way of thinking. (laughs) That was a joke. And so, anyway, for 45 minutes, he tells me every reason why Jesus doesn't exist. And I just was like, i got nothing. Do you know what I mean? So, what you probably don't know about me... um, I don't have a qualification in communication, I didn't go to uni, I've got a dance diploma. So I basically had this conversation with the Lord and said, Lord, if you want me to do an interpretive dance right now, that's about all that I can muster up, so you really need to come through, because this guy knows his stuff, do you know what I mean? He's putting science out from left, right and centre, he's head of the chess club, you know, Lord, I can do an interpretive dance, that's about all I can give. So that's what's going on in my mind. And then I feel like the Lord gives me a word of knowledge, which again, so specifically doesn't always happen, and and probably has happened a handful of times this specifically in my life. But I feel like God is saying this. When Archie was seven years old, his dad walked out on him and his mum, and he cannot understand or fathom why a God is, is called Father Because the only ever experience of a father that he's had is someone who's rejected him and abandoned him. Grace, I want you to share that with him and tell him that he's seen, that he's known and that he's loved. And I'm a father that will never forsake him and never leave him. Go for it. (laughs) thanks Jesus I was worried I was hallucinating but anyway I said to the guy listen I'm hangry right now but I feel as though the God that you don't believe in has just spoken to me do you mind if I share what I think he's saying this lad really eagerly was like yeah go for it so okay just give me a second and so anyway I tell you I tell him sorry what I've just told you and in this school in Bournemouth on a November night at Friday, probably about 7 p.m., 8 p.m. at night, 
this tatty old hall, just this me and this lad and a youth worker, and tears begin to stream down his face as he looks at me and he says, how did you know that? I was like, believe me, I'm not a stalker. I said, I didn't. But the God that you don't believe in, I believe, is, is living. And he wants a relationship with you. He turned to me and he said, I've never done this before. But how can we pray? So I prayed with that 16-year-old lad and he started out for the next week. Jesus wants to use us. He wants to use you as young people in your settings and in your worlds and in your environments. The reality is, growing up is really hard. Following Jesus is super hard. Making a stand, rising up is really hard because it takes risk. But you know that you're not on your own in that. You're not on your own. So Archie was in a space where he was asking questions, big questions. And can I just say, I feel a sense to say this, it's okay to have questions. It's okay even if you're a Christian and you follow Jesus to say, I don't get this, I don't understand this. My auntie dropped down dead two years ago, totally suddenly, went to the doctors, tingling on her face, died in the surgery. I don't understand that, and that's okay. You see, I, so I can give you a theological answer as to why that happened and, you know, and, and, and what the world, what that, what that kind of means from a Christian perspective in terms of suffering and loss. But actually, is that helpful? No. Not always. Sometimes you just need a friend. Sometimes you just need to journey it as well with God and have big questions, and that's okay. I've still got questions about that. And I imagine I'll still have questions until I see Jesus face to face. But he doesn't shun away and shy away from our questions. He's the God of the universe. He invites them. But sometimes in Christianity and growing up in church myself, it's like have a face on. Do you know what I mean? You come into church, it's been a hard week. Oh, glory, hallelujah, everything's good, isn't it? Are we rejoicing in the freedom of the Lord? Amen. Always. However, sometimes life's tough and that's okay. I have got a really good friend called Jo. We met when I was 13. She was 12. She was blonde at the time. I was brunette. We bonded over our mutual lover, Taylor Swift. And... um, and we've been friends ever since. She's my hairdresser to this day. But the biggest difference was that she wasn't a Christian and I was. And I loved Jesus. And I would, like I said before, I would share him with everybody. But I began to pray for her when, um, when somebody challenged me, if there are people in your life that don't yet know Jesus, why don't you begin to pray for them every single day? So I began to do just that. And as I was doing that, I felt a love for her that I'd never felt before, like a yearning for her to come to know Jesus in a way that I'd never, ever felt before. And two years ago, bearing in mind we've been friends for a long time, I'm 27 and I was 13 when I met her, that's 15 years, right? Not great at maths. 14, thanks. Oh. Anyway, um, two years ago, um, I just felt like I needed to text her and say, and this was a brave decision for me. Text her and say, um, how can I pray for you today? And she just, um, you'll never believe the text I got back. She said, um, I'm on holiday in Croatia. I thought, thanks for the, uh, thanks for letting me know. My phone bill's going to be sky high. Anyway, uh, it gets better. So she says, um, I'm in Croatia and it's funny that you should text me. After all our conversations, yesterday, on the beach, on my own, I welcomed Jesus into my heart. Will you pray that when I get home, I find a church? 
I've been friends with her since I was 13. I've been praying for her for a long time. I'm an evangelist. It's my job to go around and travel the country and some parts of the world to tell people about Jesus. But it's hard to step out of your friends. It's hard. It's hard to step out and tell people about Jesus. It's hard to make decisions that cost you when everyone else is going one way and you make a decision to go the other. It's really hard. I was the only Christian, just diverting for a second, I was the only Christian in my year group between the ages of 16 and 18. I had the rip taken out of me almost daily. And I can take banter, but that's hard stuff. I had a lad get up in front of a whole cafeteria, wrap himself in a towel around his waist and say, look at me, I'm Jesus, will you worship me now, Grace? In front of the whole cafeteria. So when I'm saying follow Jesus, I'm not saying that lightly. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm saying there is a cost to that. But when people like Joe become Christians, it's worth it for me. It's worth all of that. A few months ago, one of my mentors wrote a book, and he knows this story really well. He didn't ask me to write in it, but he asked Joe. <laughs> and she shared her story, and I wanted to read a little bit of what she said. Forgive me if there are tears. I cry quite often. It's just because it means something to me, a whole deal. She says this, Despite my disinterest in having a relationship with God, my relationship with Grace always remained. She was such a great friend who I could always rely on, and no matter what, she always showed me love and support. She understood my questions and my doubts and always wanted to journey with me through them. It would have been so easy for her to give me a clever answer to all of my questions, but instead she would often acknowledge that she didn't have all the answers or in fact that she had struggles with the same questions. It made me understand and recognize that God is big enough to handle my questions, my doubt and my unbelief. Little did I know that Grace was praying for me <laughs> daily that I would come to know Jesus. We would often have conversations about faith. I would ask the questions and Grace would answer, sometimes with another question, but she was consistent with her faith and that stood out to me. God was her go-to every time. Her, her dependency on God, her passion for the gospel and her commitment to living out her faith was tangible. Grace didn't see evangelism, sharing her faith as a moment or one-off encounter, but as a journey. Grace is still one of my best friends to this day. But instead of me being the one with all the questions, we both explore our questions together. We pray for each other. Who would have thought that? I know who. God knew all along. So whether you've been journeying with someone for a few weeks or a few years, know that God is using you, whether you realize it or not, in their story. Don't be put off by their questions and unbelief. Just keep trusting that God can use your life to reflect him. I heard someone once say, you only need to reach one Samaritan woman to get a whole village. It took years for me to come to a place where I finally accepted Jesus. So don't give up on those you are praying for. God wants the prodigal to come home. So our job is to be there on the journey. funniest thing about this whole story is she's moved two streets away to be closer to me. My husband is thrilled. <laughs> but I tell you that because um, rising up and taking a stand and making decisions that are costly and going the opposite way to the crowd is what Jesus calls us to do. But like I said at the beginning, he said, you will face trouble. It will be difficult, but do not fear because I'm with you and I've overcome it. 
So for me, 15 years of following Jesus made a difference. And so for young people in this room, and you're finding it hard to become a, be a Christian in your environment, in your world, in your setting, you have the rip taken out of you, or maybe, just maybe, you keep it hidden because it's safer. It's easier to do that. But God calls us to share our faith and to step up and to be different. In one of Jesus' first sermons, and I'm coming into land, He said this in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When you rise up, it involves risk. But let's be people who rise up and let's be people who reach out, whatever the cost. I'm going to come into land now, but I, uh, I was thinking about what would I say to my 15-year-old self? If I got the chance to, what would I tell her? I've just written something small um, that I'm going to read to you, and then we're going to pray. You see, in that scripture that I read where it says, ask, seek, and knock, it's ask and keep asking. It's seek and keep seeking. It's knock and keep knocking. And that's true for ourselves as Christians, but that's also true for those around us. Are we going to be people who invite those questions? I think one of the best things that Joe said in that text was Grace didn't have all the answers and she wasn't afraid to say it. Sometimes as Christians, we think we have to have all the answers. Sometimes we don't, and that's okay. One of my best friends lost her mum within six weeks of a cancer diagnosis. She had so many questions, and I didn't have any answers. Do you know what she says to me? You're the only friend who just sit with me and be. I want to be the best friend that I can be to people. And maybe that's what God's calling you to do in your setting, to reflect Jesus for him. Yes, to take risks and to rise up. But maybe it's just as simple as being there for people in your community, in your world, whatever that looks like. So, if I was to say anything to my 15-year-old self, this is what it would be. You need not worry about your future, how well you'll do at college, who you'll marry, what you'll do when you grow up, or where you'll live. You will seek God about every area of your life, both big and small, and he will guide you and lead you. The verse that will be central for you and that you will need to cling on to is from, Psalm, is from Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. Don't rely on your feelings as a measure of how good God is. He is good all the time, in every season, through the highs and the desperately sad lows of growing up. Remember that he is faithful and he invites the questions. More than anything, be you. Be the one who God created you to be. He is carving you into a beautiful masterpiece. Sometimes that means he has to chisel away at areas of your character that need work. It's a process but worth it. A process that will become familiar as you journey through every season of your life. So live life to the full. Chase your dreams. Laugh loudly. Enjoy every moment. And remain thankful for those around you who God has placed in your life to journey with you. Most of all, Never stop telling people about Jesus. This is the gift. This is a gift. And believe me, it will take you more places than you ever thought possible. 
I'm going to pray. So why don't you just bow your heads for a second and close your eyes just to get a bit of focus. And if there's anyone in this space today and something that I've said has resonated with you, maybe you've got questions. Maybe you're struggling with something that's happened in your own life that you just don't understand. And maybe you're seeking God through it, but it's difficult. Maybe you even feel like you're knocking at the door and you just need to know that he is there this morning. If that is you, would you just raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for the people that have identified with that this morning. As being in a place, God, where they're asking questions, they're seeking you and they're knocking at the door. Lord, thank you that in Revelation it says that you are at that door. That we just need to knock and you'll open it. And so, Lord, I pray for those in here today that are going through a journey that's a difficult one. May they know that you are with them. May we as a church be there for them, to journey with them through difficulties and the joyful moments. Would you fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit? Thank you, Lord. Amen. And for those of us in here, I'm nearly done. For those of us in here who actually you want to rise up, you want to share your faith, you want to make a difference. Maybe it's in your school, maybe it's in your uni, maybe it's in your workplace. And you want God to begin to put people on your heart like God put Joe on mine and to begin to pray for them. Maybe there's a family member that you know isn't close to God, is actually maybe a million miles away in your mind. But you know that you want to see them come to know Jesus. So again, if that's you, I've just, just closed for a second just to get a bit of space. Would you put your hand in the air if that's you? If you say, I want to rise up today, Grace. I want to make a difference. I want to make a stand in my environment for Jesus, whatever the cost and whatever that looks like. Would you raise your hand now and I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you that you say that we are not alone. In Acts 1 verses 8, it says, um, you will fill us with your Holy Spirit and we will receive power to be your witnesses. And Lord, I pray that every single person in this space today would know that, would know that they are called to make a difference, would know that they can rise up and stand up and risk and take risk, God, but you are with us every step of the way. God, would we begin to pray for those in our lives that don't yet know you, to come home to the Father. Father. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you that you never change. Thank you that you welcome questions. And I pray, Lord, that we would know this week it's, our faith is about asking questions and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. But Lord, I thank you that you are there at the door. Always there. And Lord, I pray for those in here that are struggling with grief. I pray, Lord, for the questions that people have in this space around grief and around death. Lord, it's such a mystery and it's such a painful journey to walk through. It's agonizing at times. Lord, I pray that we'd remember that slinky illustration. That even when it feels like you're distant, God, you're always there. I pray, God, that you give us courage to actually invite people into that journey as well and not walk that alone. But Lord, I pray that they would know today that they can ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, and knock and keep knocking. Bless them today, Jesus. Would they know you close? Amen. You guys have been brilliant. Thanks so much for having me. Take care.